Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, and reading from verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord would come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Thank you, Alan. I don't think it's ever easy to hear such a reading with such language. Uh, but there it is. Uh, our Lord is speaking with only a few days to go before he faces the cross. You know that, we've shared that, and uh, it's good to uh, remind ourselves of that. It's great to see you today. Just a reminder, I know you want to be reminded of this, that next Sunday, just in case you didn't catch up with the video during the week, that's right, next Sunday, they tell me it's the 29th of November, we have three services, 8, 10 and 6 p.m., so that'll be great. Yes, put your hands together. Thank you, team. Uh, we're nearly there, sort of. Uh, I said it in the video, but I'd rather say it to you face to face, just so you know it's me speaking. Uh, indeed, uh, if you don't have little ones or young kids or children, I would encourage you for a short season to come at 8 o'clock. That just simply means that we can actually have more families and kids at 10. Uh, so I just want you to know that because we still, no matter what, the government does, no matter what restrictions are lifted at this point in time, we still are tied in with limited numbers within a building. So if you do that, that'd be great. Eight o'clock will have its own uniqueness, no doubt, over the next few weeks as well. So if you do that, that'd be a rich blessing for everyone across the body of Christ, and so that'll be great as well. I love the community stories. I want to put a shout out to Langdon. Thank you so much. Dear Lloyd, if you're watching Lloyd, well done. Thank you for that. Uh, it just highlights to me how unique we all are, how different we all are, yet we are one in Christ. And so uh, it's great to hear from Lloyd in that space. 
making the most of our time. Well, uh, if you're in the, living in the 60s and someone asked this to you, does anybody really know what time it is? The response might be, does anybody really care? Uh, if you were in the 70s, maybe time felt like a slow train coming around a bend and you might have wondered about the future and will it ever get here? Let alone, if we tied it in with the issue, is Jesus ever going to come back? Uh, in the 80s, of course, for those who uh, love the 80s, I'm sure many of you do and did, and uh, maybe life, time just felt like if you're looking for someone, you'd have to go through time after time after time waiting for something. If you're in church life, for example, in the 90s, Man, I tell you what, it was really a significant period because we'd stop and sing things like, what, oh, the heaven shall declare the glory of God. I wonder if any of you can remember that. I'm sure I can remember Meg singing that song. All creation bows at the coming of the King. Every eye shall see. Every heart will know. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Do you remember the next line? See. The coming of the king. We were singing back then about the coming of the king. Maybe we had an expectation in the 90s. Maybe as we looked at the year 2000, we thought, well, it's all going to end anyhow, and you know, the end of 1999. And then for those who are around in Harvest 2000, man, I can still picture myself there, and many of us were there. And here is Crystal Lewis, for those who remember dear Crystal Lewis, and she's singing that powerful song, Lord, I'm ready now. I'm waiting for your triumphant return. You're coming so soon. You remember that Greg Laurie was speaking and many people were challenged to give their life to Jesus. She sang on, this world has nothing for me. I find my peace and my joy solely in you, only in you. Let me be part of the harvest for the days are few. He's coming soon. People get ready. I can just even hear, people get ready. She, it just a ref, People get ready. In the year 2000. But I wonder whether maybe we've lost that great sense of anticipation, expectation, because he didn't come at that point in time. Whether you're 20, 40, 60 years old, whether you're 100 years old, whether we go back for 2,000 years, we've been waiting for something. And maybe it's been quiet. And maybe the only song I can think of that might capture our view of life might have actually come in the last 10 years from someone, let's just say she's my office manager, Adele, when she was singing about hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry, but when I call, what? You never seem to be home. And maybe the sense we have in this life as we live, in the quietness of things, well, Lord, where are you? Are you ever coming back? And maybe we've just gone a bit cold in that expectation. I wrote notes about this series back in August 2020, and I wondered myself as I wrote, I wonder what it'll be like in November. Surely things would have changed by then. They haven't. I wonder if we are gripped with the reality that Christ is coming back, and how does that truly affect us all? Hold that thought as I pray. Uh, Lord, we wait and acknowledge that there still must be more who have not heard of you. That somewhere, someone, even in our own families, needs Jesus. And so in your mercy and grace, you delay. May we be ready for that moment when it arrives. In Jesus' name. Amen. When will he return? 
When will he return? Good question. Lots of conversations about that have been had by many, many people. And if you love checking out YouTube, I have no doubt there's thousands of people, prophets, telling you when, why, etc. Uh, but if you read the New Testament, you can pick up a passage from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul writes about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will what? Come like a thief in the night. It's the truth of the New Testament. We do not know the day. We do not know the hour. It will come when you least expect it. And that's the feel as you go through Matthew 24 in anticipation of the future. Such a warning probably prevents the believers back then and even us today to sort of have this expectation that, oh, well, gee, I, I better do this or do that, or I better listen to someone or get... No, it's not like that, and we'll see more about that. And certainly the Son of Man language is there. Uh, verse 36, but about the day or hour, and I hope you've got your Bibles opened or your phones. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And yes, even as I read that, you can have that great sense, Jesus truly is human and divine. Yes, you're hearing me say, as Jesus says, he doesn't even know the hour or the time. But he goes on in verse 37, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Famous phrase. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. You can check this story out if you haven't looked at it recently in Genesis 6. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now we are clearly called to keep watch, to be in a state of readiness for that. And we're also mindful that, well, we don't know the hour and the time or the exact day. But what we do know is there's going to be a division of humanity. It's pretty clear from what you read in Scripture. Uh, I wonder you, if you've ever wondered, when's it going to happen? I don't think you'd be the first one to ever wonder or ask that question. Uh, even Jesus anticipates, I think, a certain sense of doubt around this. He says in verse 32 of chapter 24, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The point being made in chapter 24 is as history unfolds, there are things happening around us that lead us to an expectation that Christ will come back. Maybe you've thought that this year. Uh, and if you have any sense of what he said in the early part of chapter 24, it's actually quite, it's quite stark. Because the reason he speaks about the hour and the day, and the reason he gives the illustration of the parable at the end, which Alan read out to us, is tied in with a question the disciples asked. They said this in chapter 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and privately, he's speaking to disciples, Tell us, they said, when will this happen, as in the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming 
and at the end of the age. And so there's, there's the context, there's the reasons why he says what he says. And then he describes some, I think, gut-wrenching context um, from verse 4 to verse 11. I'll just read from verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. I don't know whether anyone, myself included, is ready to be hated by everyone because of Jesus. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, and I don't like reading this, the love of the most will grow cold. He's describing what it's going to be like in that last day. You can see that from Matthew 24, 4 to 11. And so he wants us to know and be ready for that. Uh, he's not going to come back till the gospel is preached to all nations. Understand that. Which is why I'm really excited about the project tied in with Anglican aid, the Papua New Guinea. And we're going to have someone here next week to speak more about that. I'm really excited and in one sense also terrified by the same thing. And you might wonder why. And so you're asking me, wonder why? And thank you for that question. I'm, I'm, ter- I'm excited because uh, the man involved, uh, tied in uh, with PNG, has the potential of being the next, next bishop uh, of the Anglican Church in Papua. And so many people get to hear the good news of Jesus. And I think that's a wonderful thing tied in with the whole series we've been doing about the kingdom. We value the kingdom of God. More people need to hear about Christ. I'm scared on the other hand because what if, what if PNG was the last nation to hear about Jesus? And we've played a role in funding a worker who's going to proclaim Christ and it's all done. That scares me because I think I know people that I'm, I just ask God, bring them into your kingdom. And so we've got to be mindful of what we're talking about here. Uh, Jesus speaks of pain, desolation, famine, earthquakes in, that early, in those early verses. But he also makes that promise, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't. So sometimes I think of this year, what a year it's been. I probably thought at the beginning of the year, I could count on most things happening in 2020. And just about everything I could count on happening in 2020 hasn't happened. So much for being dependable on events and life and the things that you sort of think just roll over. I'm sure you felt the same. And so we need to be mindful of this and that's why there's such a reality check about the life we live. And I think that's why he uses the Noah description. Verse 37 again, As it was in the days of Noah, so it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And you can check out Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14 on this Language, this powerful language about the Son of Man. So in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day Noah entered the ark. And so the point is being made, people were going on about their life as per normal. Eating, drinking, back in the day probably shaking hands, even hugging, probably even high-fiving, all those things. Um, Men and women were just carrying on about their business. And it was like that in the days of Noah before the flood. Um, Today, I know you're excited to know this, is my daughter Emma's sixth wedding anniversary. Happy wedding anniversary, Emma, in case you're watching. And I have no doubts that for her and Ben and two kids later, it was a great day of celebration. But they were just going on about their normal daily life, getting ready, big plans, big party, things like that. 
So if at the moment you're involved in life, sitting in church, mowing lawns, changing nappies, getting no sleep if you've got young babies and all the rest, that's just normal life. And so it's not as if somehow you have to be sitting down in a church building with your Bible open, just waiting, just waiting, who's going to come back now? It's not like that. We're getting on with our normal business. And Jesus makes the point, just like they did not know when the flood was going to come, and they were not prepared for it. And don't forget, Noah preached for many, many decades. But men probably laughed, let alone when he started building the ark. Could you imagine building the ark? There's no rain, it's dry. Crazy Noah would have been an appropriate phrase, I suppose. Uh, and even then when he shut the ark door and he went in there with eight other, and there are eight, eight in there, it's like, what are they doing? They're just getting up, going about business, looking after the animals. Uh, someone asked John Wesley, what are you doing today? And he said, I'm preparing a sermon and visiting a widow later in the day. And they said to him, so what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back today? And his response, I'd prepare a sermon and go and visit a widow later in the day. Just go on about the normal business. I think it's a great, wonderful answer. Uh, we are living in, the, in between the first and second coming of Jesus. And I'm pretty convinced that Jesus tells us these things now in Matthew 24 in anticipation of what's going to happen in a few days' time because he loves us. You may not think that, especially as Alan concludes that reading with the horrible language which is often read in the weeping and gnashing of teeth and separation and pain. And yet it's a warning, isn't it? And Joe set us up for that. It's a warning to say, guys, you've got to take this seriously. If Jesus has come the first time has now gone to the cross and we now await with a sense of anticipation the second coming. We need to be ready for that and mindful of that. Uh, I have no doubts when Emma got engaged, she had an expectation. What would it have been other than mum and dad helping out with the financial cost of the wedding? Just delete that, but it's live, you can't do that. Her expectation would have been what? That she's going to get married. That's why I don't think I've ever believed in long engagements. If you're currently involved in a long engagement, tell those you're engaged to, let's shorten it. The expectation would have been, we're going to get married. That's the day we wait for. We need to have that same expectation about Christ returning. Uh, and, and it's described really quite clearly. Verse 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One is taken and the other is left. Make no mistake, every time I gather like Shane and others have done, even Meg and the band and stand here and see this spread of people, it's like either, there's another word but I'll use it, the rapture's happened and we're left behind, oh look, these vacant seats. And maybe it's going to be like that, all of a sudden the church will fall and now it's only, how bizarre would that be? One was in the field just going about their business. And the Bible tells us, and certainly Luke affirms this in Luke 17, it's going to be a worldwide event. Uh, just going about their business and the Christ will return. And therefore he says in verse 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Uh, Rhonda and I have never been broken into. My brother Malcolm built a house at Menai and uh, early on in that first year they actually had their house broken into. 
And uh, I remember my brother telling me that indeed, uh, when they came home, they'd noticed something was wrong, uh, things had been stolen. But on the coffee table, uh, the wedding, their wedding album had been opened. And so the thief or thieves had time to just... How, look, to me, your wedding photo, it's very private. But how invasive would that feel? They certainly felt, oh! But if the thief knew that people were home, I doubt very much whether he would have broken in. Goes without saying, doesn't it? And, and so Jesus wants us to know the reality that the Son of Man, he's going to come back when we least expect it. Maybe some people have thought this year has made us think more of those things, the end times. But Jesus wants us to be encouraged about not date setting, but being in a state of readiness, a sense of expectation. We know the world has changed. We know, well, I know this, church life has changed profoundly. And the church of the future is going to have to make sure, and the people of God in the future, if not today and going forward, that we carry ourselves with a sense of anticipation of his return, an expectation of his return. And the day will come when, wow, we can actually sing again. Fantastic, I look forward to that day. I wonder when that will be. Our voices must rise powerfully. Our prayers must anticipate that return. Our reading, our engagement, our conversations must be wrapped into that awareness, that sense of he's promised he's coming back. To quote Crystal Lewis, people get ready. It's not as if I'm just making it up, and yes, it hasn't happened yet, but we need to be in that state of readiness, and the church of the future needs to be mindful of that. Courage will be required. Have a willingness to make the most of our time. Even though every time you gather and you see this clock above my head, the time doesn't seem to move. Time is moving. It's another week. We need to be ready to forgive much faster than we do to each other, relationally speaking. We need to be ready to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. It sounds like I'm quoting 1 Peter 3, doesn't it? Makes sense. The Bible says we should. We need to make sure that we proclaim, that we pray, that we witness passionately, that this is not a joke somehow. Uh, David Cook, the former uh, principal of Croydon Bible College, was quoting a man, Frank Retief. And uh, Frank Retief was talking about Christ coming back. From memory, I think Frank's a South African pastor. And Frank made this comment. He said, well, I have what is called the five-minute rule. So I have an upset with someone, family, friend, and we're in a fight or something, and things aren't going well. I give myself the five-minute rule and ask myself the question, what if Jesus came back now? How much is this argument worthwhile? And every time I realize it's probably not. Extend forgiveness, extend grace, work it out. I like that. For me, I sort of like that because I see the opposite too much in life. I see the opposite. It's like it's the 50-year rule. I'll hold on to a grudge. It doesn't work, brothers and sisters. I prefer the five-minute rule because it means I too have been forgiven and I need to be in that space. Uh, Why I get excited about the intern projects because it honours the kingdom of 
Matthew 9, you might remember that from a few years ago, as we proclaim that the harvest is plentiful. It's important that the church of the future continues to raise up young workers. We must have that legacy. I want that to be part of my legacy, no matter what you think of me, have thought of me, or you'll forget me by the 1st of January 2021. Ian who? That's all fine. But don't forget the king is coming back. And more workers need to be in that space. And we need to be disciples of Christ who are anticipating that as we commune with the Lord. So be ready for that. And how do we get ready for that? That's your question that comes up in that last part, verses 45 to 51. We must ensure that we continue to be faithful. The master in that last part of the parable clearly is Jesus. I wonder how many of you can remember when you're in school. I'm raising my hand just so there wasn't anyone here can remember when you're in school. Have you all forgotten it? A few here can. Can you remember the day, the good old days, dare I say it, when mass teachers, especially, because I see a few mass teachers around, used to throw chalk and dusters at you when you'd play up in the back? Can't believe they did that. And you had to be quick to duck, so the poor person behind you got hit instead. But remember when the teacher would leave the classroom and how studious and diligent we all were, I'm sure like today, and we'd sit there and just quietly do our homework. Wouldn't we? Isn't that great? No. Teacher would leave the room. What did we do? We'd play up instantly. And then someone would probably, the wise ones from the would have someone at the door. They're coming back. Quick, get back to work. Okay, stop fighting. Happens all the time. I'm sure it still happens today. Oh, probably not the schools your kids go to. But this sense of it happens all the time. We forget. So Jesus says, okay. Verse 45, talking to his disciples. Uh, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him, him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of his possessions. So, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and, eat, and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware. It's not a pretty picture. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This stands as both a warning and a promise. It stands as a warning to those who ignore the fact that Master's coming back and a promise that, the, that Christ will return in glory. Uh, we, on a Sunday morning, maybe in church life like now, maybe talking about the second coming of Christ is a good thing to do. We sort of affirm it, yay. But by the time you get to Monday and work through till Saturday, you probably forget a little bit about it. Lots of things are said in church life that probably make us okay with something. But as soon as we leave, we sort of are not so okay with that same something. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Understand that. Maybe soon. That might be good news. It might also be bad news. And so here you have these two servants, the good servant and the evil servant. What do we learn from the good servant? The good servant is faithful. He trusts and he knows the master will return. So he's on about the master's business. He's keeping watch. His faithfulness is seen in the task his master's given him. 
And what I like, one writer made the comment about, in these times you need both patience and impatience. You've got to hold both together at the same time. Patiently waiting for the Lord to return, and at the same time, impatiently waiting for the Lord to return. I don't know if, I just keep pondering this. Uh, And we're living between that. So today, I thought with a great sense of excitement for all of you, I'll give you the date of when the new leader is going to start. It's going to be in the future. And so meanwhile, you have to live with both what? Patience and impatience. I could name five people right now. Let's just give them a brand, a name. Let's call them nominators. I think they're living in a world of being very impatient. And what are we called to do as God's people? We're called to be patient, aren't we? Yes, in case you're wondering, patient. To pray, to wait, to smile, to encourage. And both are gonna, you've got to hold them both in tension. I don't know what's it, but patience undergirds all Christian life. The faithful Christian who's a good servant is ready for the master's return. He's being patient. He understands the significance of the return. And yet he's also, we're aware of this impatience, weary and tired of evil, weary and tired of pain, weary and tired of those who suffer. Uh, I felt that Friday morning I was going to conduct, and I did conduct, the funeral of my son's father-in-law here. And on the way here I had a call from Parsons Funeral Director about uh, the sad story of a young girl called Chloe Saxby who, age 12, has had a very, very particular disease called uh, vanishing white uh, matter disease, who'd passed away on Wednesday. What could our church do in that context? And I must confess, because I was on the way to do a funeral, uh, where it was a family funeral, I was pretty feeling a bit flat anyhow, and that just, I just felt so awful. Because I knew on that Friday that my own 12-year-old granddaughter would be sitting right there with her other granddad having passed away. And I just felt, oh, Lord, can't you come back now and just solve these problems? I'm just so tired of hearing of another tragedy. And so I was very impatient. I think I stuck to the speed limit, thankfully. But it's just like, oh, okay, but okay, be patient, though. I know you're coming back. And yet the sadness you see every rotten day makes me impatient for his return. The good servant is busy about the master's business and he gets rewarded, we know that. And and what do I know about the evil servant? The evil servant is faithless, he couldn't care less. My master is delaying coming back, man, that means I can get on and do what I like. Who cares? He won't know, in theory. He's not expecting, looking, anticipating for the master to return. So he lives a life of carelessness. Waywardness, hence the word hanging out with drunkards. That's terrible. Don't do that. In other words, just like Shane touched on last week in in Matthew 23, you're a hypocrite. (gasps) Jesus says that way back in Matthew 7 anyhow. He indulges himself. He's unprepared for the master's return. The good servant is ready all the time. The evil servant is never ready. And so the evil servant is... Is punished, punished severely, separated from God in a terrible way. We are warned about this and we are encouraged to look up and to be aware 
that our Lord is returning. And so are you living a life ready for the Lord's return? Are you making the most of the time you've got now? I think I've become a little bit more cautious about making plans and setting them in concrete for the future. I'm sure we've all learned that this year. I'm passionate about Gift Day because a nation can be impacted. A future uh, harvest worker can be impacted. And also, as I read from Acts 13, I read these words in Acts 13, verse 36. Acts 13, verse 36. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Do you ever wonder what your purpose is in this generation? I often wonder that. And that's why I'm keen about raising additional funds for the young people. I want them to hear the good news of Jesus and I want them to know that their church is right there with them and will help them every step of the way. Are we living ready and making our life count? Christ is going to return and he's going to return in glory and judgment. Those two things, there it is. And people will either be there for the glory or there as part of the judgment. So let me ask you directly, those watching at home, those before me right now, which category are you in? Are you ready because you know Christ for his glory to return? Or are you like the evil servant in that story thinking, ah, oh, who cares? I'll deal with this somewhere out there. Don't do that. There is no somewhere out there that you'll find it's the right time. Make your life count. Yes, because uh, I'm a Dylan fan, which is true to say, and I know all of you are Dylan fans, it goes without saying, and I know at your home you have both the CD and the vinyl of When He Returns, Bob Dylan's most famous 1979 album. I'm sure every home has it. Framed, probably, in some of your homes. His last song on that album, as you know, is called what? When He Returns. Uh, like a thief in the night, he'll place wrong with right when he returns. Surrender your crown on this bloodstained ground. Take off your mask. Funny how Shane touched on masks last week. Take off your mask. He sees your deeds. He knows your needs even before you ask. Of every earthly plan that known to man, he is unconcerned. Why? Because he's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. And he will return. Do you have a sense of urgency about that? Are you making your days count? Your gatherings count? Your huddles count? Are you doing that with your family? Uh, are you doing that with your children, your grandkids? Are you praying with them at night before, after you've wrestled all day with them and you've had a rotten day and you've finally fed them and there's mess on the floor uh, and you finally get them a bath and you're thinking, oh, this is so hard. And you finally get them in their pyjamas and you know it's about eight o'clock and they don't want to go to bed and you've given them five lots of Panadol already and you're thinking, oh, can they go to sleep, Lord? And finally, somehow, they get in bed with 55 teddy bears around their pillow because that's the only way they can settle down. Do you then stop when you're absolutely squashed and exhausted 
and lift them up to the Lord. Father, may they know you. Don't let another day go by without them knowing Jesus. May I be Christ to them. And you know, for those who've gone through that journey, how hard that is. Because sometimes you want to, I better not do that. In your life, are you ready? You see, I know he's coming back. I know my time will be done soon. I want my life to always say, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. When I face trouble and I'm tired, give me Jesus. In the quiet days of my life, and I sit in a coffee shop and watch life go by, give me Jesus. In the hard days and the busy days, give me Jesus. And as I am reminded nearly on a weekly basis, and as I was reminded again last week, at the end of my days, when all is said and done, give me Jesus. Let me hold on to him like never before. And indeed, as I do that, my days will honour him and your days will honour him as well. As we wait patiently for his return. And as we look at being a church in the future, Intude anticipates that and loves that thought and passionately holds on to that. May it be that we live ready in this life in anticipation of the next life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, heal our hearts. Prepare us for a new day. Prepare us for a new, new, a new day where you return. Change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.